particularly creative and insightful, and now my mic is on, thank you, uh, creative and insightful and applicable, applicable to us all. Indeed, quite a good intro to the sermon this morning as well as we focus our attention on the sixth and final petition of the Lord's Prayer, let us read responsively the instruction from the Heidelberg Catechism. What does the sixth request mean? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil means. By ourselves we are too weak to hold our own even for a moment. And our moral enemies, the devil, world, our own flesh, never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, preserve and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may not be overcome in this spiritual warfare, but constantly and strenuously may resist our foes until at last we obtain complete victory. You see the scripture references supporting uh, the catechism's answer. Again, I commend the catechisms of uh, the church, the Heidelberg, the Westminster Larger and Shorter, for your continual Bible study and devotional meditation. They are a great help to us. Let us now ask the Lord whose spirit breathed out this word and preserved it for us in Holy Scripture now to breathe upon us afresh for the spiritual illumination of our minds and the opening of our hearts that we might receive his word for what it is, the very word of God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice in your goodness, in your mercy, in your love, in your power. We thank you for the full provision which you have made for us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and through him, the provision of your Spirit, the Holy Spirit of truth, who leads us into all truth in accordance with your word. And so we ask your blessing upon us now as we read your word, and may it take deep root in our hearts and bear much fruit for the glory of your name. Amen. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, beginning at verse 9, the very words of God spoken by the Son of God incarnate, our Lord Jesus. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And now unto him who has washed us in his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. The final petition of the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, expresses our absolute dependence upon the power of God to protect and to preserve us against all the evil machinations and schemes of Satan. 
For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. The sixth and final petition has a rather dark, chilling, ominous tone about it, at least in the sense that it teaches us that this fallen world is a spiritually dangerous world and that as followers of Jesus, we have a supernatural, malevolent, malicious, intelligent, powerful enemy, our adversary, the devil, with whom we must contend and for whom on our own we are no match. Satan is a defeated enemy to be sure, but an enraged enemy nonetheless. The devil is no joke. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Let's think about the psychology, if you will, of temptation. Temptation involves two different aspects coming together simultaneously. And what I mean by that is this. To fall into sin, there must, first of all, for temptation to be uh, successful in the wrong kind of way, there must be, first of all, the opportunity for sin the opportunity to give in to the temptation. And there must also be the desire to give in to the temptation. You think about our absolute dependence upon the power and providence of God to protect us and to preserve us in that moment. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we we are, in a sense, praying, don't let that opportunity arise. Or if it does arise, don't let the desire be within my heart. You see? Because when there's an opportunity to sin, simultaneous with the desire to sin, we fall. Pray to Satan. So as we follow Jesus, we all must pray every day, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, indeed, from the evil one. Now the first half of the petition, lead us not into temptation, may be confusing to us because after all, we might ask, would God lead us into temptation? Does God lure us into sin? Does God tempt us to sin? And the answer is no, of course not, never. God does not tempt us to sin. 
The scripture is explicitly clear on this specific point. James 1.13, James 1.13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. James 1.13. Therefore, no, God does not ever lead us into temptation in the sense of luring us into sin. God never entices us to sinful behavior and moral failure. So, what does this phrase mean? Well, we have to understand it as an idiomatic expression. That is, a matter of speaking, a turn of phrase which makes a point without it being strictly literalistic. We could paraphrase it by saying, Lord, direct my steps so that I do not stray into temptation and fall prey to the evil one. It's a manner of speaking. It is a turn of phrase which actually expresses the prayer of Psalm 5.8 in a positive manner. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. And Psalm 27.11, lead me on a level path because of my enemies. And we know who the real enemy is. And so this First half of the petition is a plea acknowledging that left to ourselves, we are prone to wander into temptations far too great for us and fall into the snare of Satan. And, and, and so then the, the second half, deliver us from evil, clarifies the first. That is, don't let me get myself into a situation in which Satan can overwhelm me. So there's that sense of it being an idiomatic expression, praying for God's providence and his power to protect us and to preserve us from falling into sin. But there's another aspect which we need to consider. I wish I had my blackboard, but I don't, so stay with me. The New Testament Greek word for temptation is the same Greek word, it has the same root as the word for trial, as in a test or trying circumstances. So sometimes this word is translated into English as temptation, as in temptation to sin, as in James 1.13, God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one to sin. But in many other verses, this same Greek word is translated in modern English versions as trial. So for example, James 1 verse 2. James 1 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The King James Version says diverse temptations. But the context obviously refers to trials of various kinds, trying circumstances, persecution, difficulties, disappointments. 
James 1, 3 continues the verse. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's a, there's a positive nuance to that. So you see, in that passage, the word that can be translated temptations is better translated in modern English as trials. And likewise in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. King James Version, manifold temptations. Various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, a, a positive nuance there. So again, in that passage, the word that the King James Version translates, temptations, is better translated in modern English as trial. And in both cases, and elsewhere in Scripture, these trials are tests of our faith. That is, they are trials ordained by God which are intended to test and to strengthen and to refine and purify our faith just as a refiner's fire strengthens and purifies a precious metal and proves it to be authentic. But here's the thing. Whenever we are experiencing a trial, a test, of our faith, then a temptation to sin will likely arise. Here's how we put these two together. Trial and temptation like two sides of the same coin. What God ordains for our good, a trial, for our sanctification, for our spiritual growth, for the strengthening and purifying and authenticating of our faith, for our growth as a Christian into greater conformity with the likeness of Christ, that trial ordained by God, Satan will seek to exploit for our fall and destruction. In the midst of that trial, Satan will tempt us to sin. What God ordains to build us up, Satan will attempt to use to tear us down. So for example, you're facing really difficult circumstances. You're experiencing a fiery trial. Cancer and the horrible torments of chemotherapy or another chronic, incurable, life-altering, debilitating disease or you are the loved one who is the caregiver in the midst of that trial, that's your trial too. Or extreme hardships from a turn of events out of your control, a terrible tragedy. A grief that only heaven will heal. 
or deep and troubling family conflicts which wreak havoc and wreck relationships beyond repair or financial catastrophe or long-term unemployment requiring a major change in your lifestyle and the loss of future dreams. Or it could be and may increasingly be in our culture suffering persecution in one way or another for your Christian faith. There are all manner of fiery trials which we may experience ordained for us in God's providence. And God's word says that he is working all those things together for good. So that we might be conformed to the image of his son so that we might grow in steadfastness of faith and spiritual endurance and holy character as we bear our suffering with the hope of glory in our hearts. That's God's purpose for you in your fiery trial. But at the same time, Satan will seek to exploit that fiery trial and use it as an opportunity for temptation. That is, the temptation to give up on God. The temptation to despair. The temptation to believe that you have been forgotten and forsaken by God. The temptation to think that God either isn't really good or doesn't really care or doesn't have the power to help you. The temptation to fall away from the faith, the temptation to be angry at God, the temptation to curse God and die in faithless defeat. We see this, of course, in the book of Job. The trial ordained by God to strengthen and to purify your faith will be exploited by Satan in his attempt to undermine and to destroy your faith. And therefore, this petition, with its peculiar turn of phrase, lead us not into temptation. Could be paraphrased, do not ordain a trial, a test too great for me, in which I would fall away from you in faithlessness. But deliver me from evil, from the evil one, in the midst of the fiery trial. And by the way, that trial might not only be one of hardship and suffering, though, though in the New Testament it most, it most often refers to that kind of difficulty. But, but think about this. When God pours out his blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon you. When God from heaven pours out the blessing of earthly comfort, worldly success, and everything's going your way, beware, beware. The temptation of Satan to forget God and to congratulate yourself as though you were the giver of all those blessings.
And this principle also applies in other rather ordinary situations every day for all of us. Thank you, Pastor Scott. For example, do you know anybody who gets on your nerves, rubs you the wrong way? Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. God has put that person in your life so that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control may grow more bountifully and be exhibited in your, in your life in that relationship with that difficult person to the glory of God. But Satan intends to increase your irritability and to expose your sinful disdain for that person and to get you to act in that way toward that irritating person. Another person's professional or financial success may provide a test of spiritual growth in humility and contentment with your own situation. But Satan will tempt you toward a spirit of envy and resentment of that person's success and a griping at God. Living in this culture of worldliness and ungodliness, the, the materialism and sexualization of our culture provide us with continual tests of self-discipline and self-denial and self-control so that we may make progress in our pursuit of holiness. But Satan will continually ex exploit the cultural environment to tempt us toward sinful self-gratification, greed, covetousness, lust, and outright immorality. So you see, a trial ordained by God for our spiritual growth will be exploited by Satan as an opportunity for temptation to sin. And so we ought to pray every day, Lord, do not put me to a test I cannot withstand, but deliver me from evil, from the snare of the evil one. And let's think about the fact, what goes on in our minds when we are being tempted to sin? Every time we are faced with a temptation in the midst of a trial, a test, big or small, extraordinary or ordinary, every time we face the test, the question is, every time we face a temptation, the question is, here's the question, who do I believe? Who do I believe in this situation? In the midst of this trial and test, when I feel the temptation of Satan, who do I believe? Do I believe God and what he says in his word? Or do I believe Satan and what he whispers in my ear? Now that takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Doesn't temptation always really begin with us just as it began with Adam and Eve? Did God really say? <laughs> you shall not surely die. Isn't all temptation 
at its root, a questioning of God's word and undermining of God's word, a questioning of God's goodness, a, a, a besmirching of God's goodness, a question of God's faithfulness, an undermining of God's... Who are you going to believe? God and what he has said in his word or Satan and what he whispers in your ear? And that takes us to the gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, the second Adam. For our sake and our salvation, the Holy Spirit led him, drove him into the wilderness. God the Father ordained a trial and a test for his Son on our behalf. The Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Satan there questioned the written word of God. Satan twisted the written word of God. Satan promised kingdoms, power, and glory, trying to lure Jesus away from faithfulness to his Father. Who did Jesus for us and for our salvation believe? He believed his Father. He believed the written word of God. He passed that test in the wilderness for us and for our salvation. So please note, Jesus began his ministry in the midst of a trial ordained by his father and faced a test tempted by Satan. Jesus' battle against Satan continued throughout his earthly ministry, whether in the form of hostile opponents or the faithlessness of his own disciples. And for our sake and our salvation, Jesus concluded his earthly ministry in a battle against Satan. Just as it was in a garden that the first Adam failed the test and fell to Satan's temptation and plunged us all into the dominion of the devil, so also it was in a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, that the second Adam, the new Adam, the true Adam, Jesus Christ, again endured a trial ordained by his Father and withstood the test again and resisted the temptation of Satan. Now, there's no explicit, specific mention of Satan in the account of Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane as he poured out his soul, sweating great drops of blood, praying, not as I will, but as you will. But we know that Jesus was agonizing, wrestling in spiritual warfare against Satan because in that very moment, he warned Peter, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And Satan has sought to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. That was Jesus' warning to Peter that Satan would also tempt Peter to fall away. Just as he was tempting Jesus to fall away. In the Garden of Eden, you remember... The temptation had to do with the fruit of a certain tree. Adam failed and fell. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the temptation also had to do with the fruit 
of a certain tree. A barren, lifeless tree that bore only the fruit of death. Jesus withstood the test. And in obedience to his Father for our sake and our salvation, Jesus ate the fruit of the cross. Death under the wrath of God. That trial, that test, was ordained for Jesus for our salvation. The trial, the test, which we could never withstand, he withstood for us. His trial, his test, delivered him into the power of evil in order that he might conquer Satan and redeem us out of our fall and deliver us ultimately and eternally from the evil one. On that cross, the Savior born of woman without the aid of man crushed the head of the serpent and won the victory for us. Satan is a defeated enemy for all who are in Christ Jesus, in union with Christ through faith, by the indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit. We have been set free from the dominion of the devil. Through the victory of Jesus and by the power of his word and spirit, we have the promises of God's word. Greater is he who is in us Jesus Christ, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, than he, the devil, who is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. If we resist the devil, he will flee from us. James 4, 7. Armed with the armor of God, we are fully equipped to withstand Satan's assaults. Ephesians 6, 13. And make a note of this. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And that is a specific promise of God upon which this sixth petition is based. You see, on the basis of these Promises of God's written word guaranteed for us by the victory of Jesus who delivers us from the evil one. We may pray with confidence and assurance in the midst of spiritual warfare. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's a victorious prayer, brothers and sisters. That's a prayer for victory in spiritual warfare. Because you see, even in this petition, as dark, chilling, and ominous as it may sound, we are praying in accordance with God's word. We are praying for what God has promised us in Christ Jesus by his victory over Satan. We are praying in accordance with the Father's will 
For His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice in the glorious gospel of your Son, our Savior, our victor, Jesus Christ, in whom we have the victory of life eternal. Grant us the grace to believe more deeply what you say. And grant us both the desire and the will to live in grateful obedience and cheerful faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we read responsively again from the Heidelberg Catechism. Dear Christian believer, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of no precious blood, he has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the dominion of the devil. He also watches over me so well that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Indeed, all things must work together to finish purpose for my salvation. Therefore, because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal